I want to begin with um, a few questions to begin our examination in, in this realm of going. I want us to ask, I want myself to ask, has God given us a picture of an evangelistic church in Scripture? Has God given us a picture of an evangelistic church in Scripture? And we also want to ask with that, what occurs when the Spirit of God grabs a hold of a people? What occurs when the power that is in the hand of God shapes and affects a people? What kind of culture is present? How is that church marked? Because we can be confident of this, when God does grab a hold of a people, those people are never the same again. And that church is never the same again. And so we will be looking for a picture of an evangelistic church. And I believe searching the scriptures for such a picture is helpful for one simple reason. Reason. I believe we're clear as to the mandate. We're very familiar with, with the mandate upon us. We're very familiar with passages like Luke 24 that we just read. The risen Christ. Just get your minds around that for a moment. Standing before disciples. Says it is written in the scriptures that Christ myself I must suffer and be raised again on the third day. And he goes on to say it's also written in scripture that repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be proclaimed in my name. To all nations. We know that mandate. Proclaimed in his name to all nations. And while we're clear as to the mandate, what we look to this morning is we look to God for assistance in the execution of that mandate, the living out that mandate. And so for a picture of this execution, we'll spend our time in the book of Acts. If you'll direct your attention to Acts chapter 1, and as you do so, just give a mention the book of Acts is not simply a record about the apostles or even Paul's missionary journeys. Although a record of such covers a great deal of the book, the book of Acts is a record of God's people being his witnesses in Jerusalem and beyond and doing so by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's the book of Acts. God's people bearing witness in Jerusalem and beyond and doing so by the power of the Holy Spirit. So we're going to allow just... Making several stops in this book and allow a, a, a picture to be painted for us of, Lord, what does an evangelistic church look like? Number one, first facet of our picture, an evangelistic church is a gathering and growing church. And this is an appropriate place to begin so that we see this morning tied to the previous two weeks. In an evangelistic church, there is a culture of gathering and growing together. If you'll flip one page over, perhaps, to Acts chapter 2. And I'll mention that Pentecost has just occurred. And with that, you can gather in all the details of what has just transpired. Peter, inspired by the Spirit of God, preaches Christ. And then God proceeds to do the most remarkable of miracles accomplished in Acts chapter 2. It's, it's not the tongues of fire upon their heads. It's not these men speaking foreign Known languages that previously they were unable to speak. Even more remarkable than that miracle, miraculous display of power was the causing of new birth to happen when Christ is proclaimed. That far overshadows the power on display, even, even on display at Pentecost. So look at verse 41 of chapter 2. This new growing group of Christ followers. Let's see what they look like. 
says, so then those who had received his word, Peter, proclaiming Christ, were baptized. And that day there were added about 3,000 souls. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching. They, they had to be together. Verse 44 says, and all those who had believed were together. Christ is proclaimed, and from that day forward, there was a culture where they said, I have to be with God's people. I have to place myself under the authority of God's word with God's people. And this evangelistic church that began to explode there in the early church was a church who loved to gather. And in their gathering, they were growing and growing and growing. They continued to be filled with a sense of awe and wonder. So the banner over our time again is faithful gathering and growing Fosters faithful going. When those two are present, gathering and growing, it fuels a church to be an evangelistic church. Why was there an evangelistic explosion in the early church? It's because the Spirit of God was grabbing hold of a people. He was causing the miracle of regeneration to occur. And then he was equipping them to be his witnesses. That's the reason for the explosion of evangelism in that day. The spread of the gospel. And so I want to be clear, let's, let's, for the next few minutes, let's just make the connection. Gathering and growing is not disconnected from our going. It's all interconnected. It's all interrelated. A church faithful in gathering and growing should lead to a church that is faithful to go. And conversely, a church's going will be always stunted and inhibited if there are deficiencies in gathering and growing. Because you see, when they met together in the early church, they're worshiping, they're praying, they're setting themselves under the authority of God's word was doing what? It was building these new believers up in the faith and equipping them for the work before them, which was to be Christ's witnesses. This is all interconnected. This whole series, gathering, growing, going. We can't compartmentalize neatly all these various facets into one each Sunday. It's the whole, it's the whole thing of us being together, the church. We gather, we grow, and we go. Cause you see, when we, as a local church, when we are making gospel progress together, and hopefully that is happening in great, to, to a great degree, when we press on to spiritual maturity through gathering and growing, it's in these moments, even now, that we are simultaneously directed towards missional living. We leave this place encouraged and built up. And we leave here with the mind, you know what? I have come to Baraka Bible Church this morning. And my aim is not to simply eat and get fat with other Barakites. My desire is to be fueled and built up to see God worshipped. And to see him worship not only in this body, by, but also by those outside this body, by calling them to faith in Jesus Christ. And so my meeting with you fuels me to be a witness beyond these doors. My growing with you fuels me to be a witness beyond this place. A gathering and growing culture leads to an evangelistic culture. A culture that prepares us to bear witness of Christ. Number two. Number two. Second facet of this picture. An evangelistic church 
has beheld and is beholding the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. An evangelistic church has beheld and is beholding present ongoing tense the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. It is filled with people who have seen and are seeing Christ. It is filled with people whose eyes have been opened to the wondrous person and work of Christ. Just look at Acts chapter 2 to back up for a moment and to verse 14. Pentecost just occurred. And Peter stands up and he stands up in the presence of the eleven and with the eleven. And he raises his voice and he declares to those present. And what does he declare? For me, I stop and go, Peter has a, he has a captivated audience. He could say whatever he wants. And these people are going to hang on every word. And so I want to mark down what is it that Peter proclaims? What is it that he declares? Look at verse 22. He says, men of Israel, listen to these words. And of all the things he says, the next word that utters out of his mouth is this. Jesus. 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 The Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs which God performed through him in your midst. Just as you yourselves know. Verse 23 says, this man, this Jesus, delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross By the hands of godless men and put him to death. Verse 24. Because there's more to the message. And standing up and declaring to them. Men of Israel listen to these words. You nailed him to a cross but God. But God raised him up again. Putting an end to the agony of death. Since it was impossible for him to be held in his power. Verse 32. This Jesus God raised up again. To which we are all witnesses. Therefore, having been exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured forth this which you both see and hear. Verse 36. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know. Know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Of all the things to say, it was Christ and Christ crucified and resurrected. That was the message. And what was the result of Christ being proclaimed? Look at verse 37. Now when they, those who had just witnessed Pentecost, heard this, Peter's spirit-empowered sermon. What does it say occurred to these people, but that they were pierced to the heart And all they were left to say was, brothers, what do we do? And Peter replies, I'm glad that you ask. Verse 38, Peter said to them, repent. And each of you be baptized. And for me, in the book of Acts, this has been, this has stood out to me in exceptional ways. Be baptized. And you see this word over and over and over again. Be baptized in the name. The name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And he's pleading with them to be saved from this perverse generation. Well, the Lord uses that proclamation and and no credit to Peter's ability to wax eloquently regarding Christ. Full credit and glory goes to God because in that moment with Christ being proclaimed, God adds to the number 3,000 that day. These people had seen Christ. 
What prompts people to be pierced to the heart? It's not you being able to piece together a well-packaged gospel presentation. It's Christ. It's Christ. It's Christ. And do you think for one moment that these believers would ever move away beyond from Christ to greater things? No. There is no greater thing. And there is no greater person from this moment in their beholding of Christ. They would spend the remainder of their days together as a church wanting to continue beholding the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Their gathering would be centered around Christ. Their growing would be centered in Christ. And mark this down. They're going from this point forward. Being Christ's witnesses would forever be marked by a faithfulness in Christ. They would forever know that there is power in his name. Why? Because they had seen it with their own eyes. They had felt it in their own souls. They were pierced through the heart. What must I do to be saved? They knew that the word of the cross was the power of God into salvation for those who believe. They knew it from experience. And they would forever have confidence in this message. Well, how do we know this? How do we know that they would have that confidence in Christ proclaimed and in that message? How is their confidence manifested? Well, confidence that is, is not confidence unless, unless it is seen through actions. We understand that. Uh, confidence in word only is very, very cheap. And we see their confidence... Demonstrated through action. It's safe to assume that the apostles teaching. That they were devoted to in Acts chapter 2 verse 42. Continued to be regarding Christ. And he didn't proclaim Christ that day. And then and then stop speaking of Christ. And began to expound upon other doctrines. I can imagine for Peter and the rest of the apostles. As the, as the, as the new believers gathered. Christ literally saturated their time together. And not only saturated their time together, but there was all, it was also filled with instruction in how to be witnesses for Christ. And so those early Christians would have followed the example of their spiritual fathers. Their, the evangelistic example of their spiritual fathers. And if we gather anything from that, the culture that developed in the early church would have been one that they didn't feel the need to, to water down the message. They didn't feel the need to be deterred by cultural pressure. They would not allow themselves to be dismayed by opposition. And they were not dependent upon programs or committees, just simply kind of sending out the apostles. You guys kind of go do the evangelistic thing. Let's go, you guys go get it done. We'll pray for you. It was simply Christ. And Christ resurrected. Look at Acts chapter 3. More examples of this Christ and this beholding the glory of God in the face of Christ. Acts chapter 3 verse 11. The context here is, is the healing of the lame beggar. A man who has been lame and both lame and poor since his birth over 40 years time. He is healed. Everyone begins to gather in amazement. Verse 12, Peter with those gathered, says, why are you amazed? Why do you look upon us as if by our own power or piety this man is healed? Let me tell you the name by whom this man walks. Verse 13. And he begins to expound. 
And I love it. You just see Peter slipping in the backdrop and he just holds out Christ to those present. He says, the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, the God of our fathers has glorified his servant, Jesus. The one whom you delivered and disowned in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you disowned the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. But put to death the prince of life. The one whom God raised from the dead, a fact to which we are witnesses. And on the basis of faith in his name, it is the name of Jesus. It is the name of Jesus, which has strengthened this man whom you see and know. And the faith which comes through him has given him his perfect health in the presence of you all. Verse 19, therefore, by the power of this name, therefore, repent and return so that your sins may be wiped away. In order that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Verse 26 of chapter 3. For you first God raised up his servant and sent him to bless you by turning every one of you from your wicked ways. It was Christ. Christ crucified and resurrected. Acts chapter 4 verse 1. Flip over a chapter. The context is Peter and John continue to proclaim In Jesus, the resurrection from the dead, many come to faith in Christ and they in turn would begin to share the fame of Christ with others around them. And how do we know this? Many come to faith in Christ and they in turn begin to share the fame of Christ to others around them. And for me, I'm asking, why wouldn't you? (laughs) You've just received salvation in his name. You've just known the sweetness of forgiveness. You've just been... Um, experience the power of God with beholding the glory of God in the face of his son. Of course you want to tell everybody. Well, not everybody is thrilled about this. The religious leaders are not big fans. They seize Peter and John. They arrest them and they inquire by what power or in what name have you done this? Peter filled with the Holy Spirit. Verse 8 again says, I'm glad you asked. Let me let me share. Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we are on trial today for a benefit done to a sick man, as to how this man has been made well, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead. You see this repeating theme going on? It's Christ. You crucify him. Him, But God raised him from the dead. It's by the power of his name. By this name, this man stands here before you in good health. He is the stone which was rejected by you, the builders, but which became the chief cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. It was Christ and Christ resurrected. The book of Acts goes on. The religious, religious leaders have no grounds to keep them. They're amazed at the wisdom of these uneducated men. They can't possibly deny what just took place. I mean, the man, 40 plus years of age, is literally standing in front of them. Indisputable evidence. So they decide to release them. But before they do, notice verse 17 for a moment. Verse 17, and notice what this verse reveals about those in the early church. Not just Peter, not just Paul. Not just the rest of the apostles, but notice what this reveals about the rest of the church. Verse 17 says, religious leaders saying, but so that it will not spread. What spread? The message of Christ. 
the message of Christ resurrected and that there is power in his name to save. So that it will not spread any further among the people. Let us warn them to speak no longer to any in this name. Which assumes what? There was something already beginning to happen. The fame of Christ was already beginning to spread by those who had experienced salvation in his name. Sometimes we walk through the book of Acts and, and, and it's a mistake to just think, man, the apostles were so bold. No. God's power is so great that it, it takes any believer, any believer in Jesus Christ and automatically equips them and directs them in being a witness for his glory. And spreading the message of salvation. These believers were simply emulating by the power of the spirit the examples of the apostles. The fame of Christ was spreading. Look at verse 18. So when they had summoned them, they commanded them not to speak or teach at all. In the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said to them. Whether, whether it is right in the sight of God to give heed to you. Rather than to God you be the judge. And I love verse 20. <laughs> For we cannot. We cannot stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. It was simply Christ and Christ resurrected. And that those who believed in his name would receive the remission from sins. They would receive eternal life. You see for them... These believers were not thrust out and it wasn't simply about digging wells. It wasn't about handing out mosquito nets. And that's, that's great. Grace and compassion and ministering to people's needs. But Christ had to be proclaimed. And Christ has to be proclaimed. There is power in His name. It is by His name and in His work on the cross that we are saved. These people had seen Christ. And I love verse 20. In seeing Christ, they could not stop speaking about what they had seen and heard. Just a personal word for us before we move further along. And this is an indictment against myself as well. I mean, I, we approach evangelism in all past couple weeks... Lord, grow me, <laughs> move me, show me my complacency, because it's become apparent to be weak in evangelism is really an indictment against us. It is a window into our cherishing of Christ. And when I am not leaving this place and we are not leaving this place and proclaiming Christ, what it is communicating is that I am not cherishing Christ as I ought. If I, if I have truly beheld the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, if I wake up mo Monday morning and I see him in all his glory and splendor, that will catapult me out from my house to, work, to a place where I cannot stop speaking about what I've seen and heard. And so to be weak in evangelism is an indictment against us and our cherishing of Christ. We evangelize because we cannot stop speaking. I wish we could cover more of chapter 5 and chapter 6 and 7. Peter and John, they go on to be arrested. God breaks them out. He tells them, go, speak the message of life. The religious leaders are again ticked. They just kind of stay ticked throughout the book of Acts. Verse 29 of Acts chapter 5. 
God breaks them out. Religious leaders find them in the temple. They're, they're, they can't stop speaking. They tell them to stop speaking in the name. Peter and the apostles answered, verse 29, we must obey God rather than men. And then this message again. It's like, wow, these guys are broken records. and I should be a broken record. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you had put to death by hanging him on a cross. He is the one whom God highly exalted to his right hand as a prince and a savior to grant repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. The religious leaders flog Peter and John and they go out rejoicing that they have been considered to suffer for the name. And every day they kept right on teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. You have the example of Stephen in Acts chapter 6 and 7. An evangelistic church is a gathering and growing church. And an evangelistic church is filled with people who have beheld and and are beholding the glory of God in the face of Christ. That's that's part of even why we gather. We want him to receive honor and worship because he's deserving. And we want to behold his glory in the face of his son, our Savior. And you know, when we behold that glory, it should change us. It should do something to us. And it should affect the way that we live. Third facet of this picture. An evangelistic church is present both across the street as well as beyond the border. An evangelistic church is present both across the street as well as beyond the border. If you'll turn back to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1, the disciples are asking asking this resurrected Christ, is now the time that you are going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Jesus Christ responds, now is not the time for you to know. It's not the time for you to know. But in verse 8 he says, but know this, while you do not know the time that the kingdom will be restored, know this for sure. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth. And the book of Acts is the spirit empowered, is the laying out the record of this spirit empowered witness bearing. It's what the book of Acts is. And the very outline of the book literally maps out this circle of witness. Jerusalem. Christ. Witness. There on the scene. Acts chapters 1 through 7. Acts chapter 8 through 9. Persecution hits and spreads the believers into Judea and Samaria. And then Acts chapter 10. The remotest parts of the earth. The gospel explodes into the Gentiles. And thank the Lord it did, right? And notice this God-established pattern in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. I don't want to make more of this than there is. But I think there's, there's, there's benefit to noticing the pattern and the instruction of what Christ spoke to those early disciples. You will be my witnesses. You will receive power to be my witnesses. In Jerusalem, in Judea, Samaria... And even to the remotest part of the earth. Witness bearing for these early believers began right where they were. They were in Jerusalem. They're in Jerusalem hearing this words and he's not saying, you are going to receive power. 
And I don't want you to worry about Jerusalem. I want you to go beyond Jerusalem. And there are some other cities and other places. And there are these, there are the Gentiles. They need to hear of the Lord. All of that is true. But that witness bearing, when the Holy Spirit came, that witness bearing began right where they were. They proclaimed Christ to their neighbors. They went to their homes. They met together and they represented Christ in the marketplace. So much of the book of Acts and I'm guilty of this, <laughs> leaves us marveling at God's power to bring the message of salvation to foreign lands. And rightfully so. I mean, just to see God at work through this book leaves us marveling. But we must not, also, we must not forget, never forget, that when a church was first established in any city, those early Christians not only had a heart to see God worshipped, in other cities, they were filled with the burning desire to see God worshipped in their own city. With their own neighbors. With those who they interacted with and went to the store with. An example of this, just on display in the book of Acts. In Paul's three missionary journeys recorded in this book. In each of his visits, he makes a point to visit with already established churches in the area. He's visiting with already established churches along the way. And so what is he doing in those places? He's encouraging. He's teaching. He's equipping. He's protecting. He's shepherding. He's doing all these things. But he's doing these things not just to believers who were there when they left. Each time that he went back to a city that he had previously been, been, he also sat in front of believers who had come to faith in Jesus Christ long after his departure. Meaning what? Long after the great Apostle Paul, filled with the Spirit, great missionary to foreign lands, departed from their city, there's believers there. There's a church there. And as he teaches and as he encourages and as he revisits those cities... He discovers, no doubt, a great degree of faithfulness of believers right where they were bearing witness for Christ. Christians being faithful to proclaim Christ even in Paul's absence. And so Baraka, just say, may that characterize us as a church. May we have a heart for the nations. And don't. If you just said to yourself internally, yes, we do have a heart for nations, change the thinking. May we have a greater heart for the nations. Supporting and praying and giving and sending. May more be sent from this church. But while we have a greater heart for the nations, and God, Lord, please cause that within us and among us. May we equally, equally, equally have a heart For the neighborhoods in which we live. If there's any element of disconnect that I am am passionate about. The nations coming to Christ. May that continue on and excel still more. But Lord help us. That there are people right here who are just as lost. And just as dead in their trespasses and sin. That need to hear the name of Jesus. The one crucified and raised again. Number four. We have to move on. Number four. An evangelistic church is a desperate church. It's a desperate church. Evangelism 
was only done in the power of the Spirit. Was only done in the power of the Spirit and was always accompanied by the display of the Spirit. And the believers in this first local church were convinced that no one, absolutely no one is born again apart from the Spirit of God working and moving. And God is making and shouting this to be abundantly clear throughout the book of Acts. These people were desperate for God to move. They knew outright that no one comes to faith in Christ. They knew outright that no one moves from death to life. No one moves from darkness to light apart from God moving such man to be so. And so the question for us, do our lives, are our lives marked with that type of desperation? In every relationship with the lost, are we thoroughly convinced that God has to work? Are we utterly desperate for God to work? And are we convinced that God is able to work? Because that's a whole nother matter. Right? I can be convinced that God, I'm about to speak to these little eight-year-old guys on, on the soccer team, the soccer fields of Fayette County. But I am desperate for you to open up their eyes. And that should be quickly and intimately and strongly attached by the great reality in my mind and heart that not only am I desperate, God, for you to work, but I am thoroughly convinced that you are able. You are able to save that family member who seems terms of hardness of heart seems far down the road. See, knowing the theology behind regeneration is one thing. Having that theology affect the way we live and interact is another. And so our litmus test for this, are we desperate? Are we convinced? One litmus test for this is our fervency in praying. Is our fervency in praying for the lost where it should be? Praying for the lost is just a manifestation of our desperation for God to move. Praying in these times together. Praying in our Sunday school classes, our small groups. Look at Acts chapter 4 verse 29. Acts four twenty-nine. Peter and John are just released... They report back to their church family, and and what do they do? They praise God, praise the Lord, and they pray. Verse 29 says, And now, Lord, take note of their threats, and grant that your bondservants may speak your word with all boldness and confidence. Basically, Lord, give us opportunity, give us boldness. They ask, they plead, they They request of the Lord in verse 30, while you extend your hand to heal and signs and wonders to take place through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. The Lord is gracious. And when they had prayed, the place where they had gathered together was shaken. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God with boldness. Acts chapter 12, Peter's in prison, says prayers for him were being made fervently by the church to God. We know the effectiveness of that praying. Peter is miraculously ushered out of the jail cell. And when he is miraculously delivered from the jail cell, he reports back to the church. And what does he find them doing? Praying. They were praying and there they are. They're still praying. Acts 13, the church prays and fasts to 
ascertain the Lord's will and Lord, what does future ministry beyond look like, which eventually leads to the first missionary team being sent out. This evangelistic church represented in that day, they prayed about everything. They prayed for their leaders, the spirit of God to move, for sinners to repent. They prayed for missions, for physical safety. This evangelistic church, they were habitual prayers. They did not stop praying, and that praying communicated desperation. God, you have to move. Number five. An evangelistic church heralds the gospel that banishes all boundaries. An evangelistic church heralds the gospel that banishes all boundaries. And we could edit that and say they herald the gospel that knows no boundaries. God does not see or care about barriers that we see. The gospel does not know racial barriers. It does not know social barriers. It does not know religious barriers. God is saying, I don't see them and I don't care about them. The message of salvation is to all. Any who would fear me and come to me may have life in my name. It's to all nations. There are no barriers. And an evangelistic church heralds that gospel that knows no boundaries. You see that being played out in the book of Acts. Acts 9, Philip takes the gospel to Samaria. Samaritans, mind you. Acts 10, God uses an unusual means to show Peter that God does not show partiality. That everyone who believes in him receives the forgiveness of sins. The Jews there who witnessed the Holy Spirit falling upon Gentiles, they're amazed. That God was offering to both Jews and Gentiles. This is obviously met with some resistance. Again, religious leaders just stay stay ticked. And even Jews there were having a hard time understanding this because previously known boundaries to them, God was God was taking a sledgehammer to, and He was extending salvation through Christ to those who were not Jewish, but Gentiles. Acts chapter 11 verse 18. (laughs) There's resistance and Peter says, who am I to stand in God's way? God has granted to the Gentiles also the repentance that leads to life. Peter says basically the barriers that you and I see, the boundaries that we operate under, God does not see or care about. The gospel does not care about. The gospel calls us to To cross barriers, irrespective of the costs involved. It knows no barriers. An evangelistic church, a going church. Just in terms of application to close the next next few minutes. An evangelistic church is a gathering and growing church. Church, I know our prayer, I know the elders' prayer, I know our prayer together is, Lord, use these times together. To fuel us to go beyond. An evangelistic church. Has beheld and is beholding the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. May we never grow tired of beholding Christ. Singing 
of Christ and what he has done, of cherishing him together. And that cherishing together, may it fuel a resolve in our own hearts and lives within us where we cannot speaking about what we've seen and heard. John Stott quoted a Buddhist monk in his book, Guilty Silence. This is a Buddhist monk, and this is telling, and this is in many ways true. He says, this Buddhist monk says, it looks as if Christianity has reached the stage in adolescence when the child is slightly ashamed of his father and embarrassed when talking about him. May we not be ashamed of our father, and may we never be embarrassed talking about him we cherish him together and we cannot speaking of what we have seen and heard an evangelistic church is present both across the street as well as beyond the border church so much to potentially say about these communities that lie here in Fayette County and the witness bearing that we've been called to have And a, a desperate church, an evangelistic church is. May our desperation be evident in our praying. And a church heralds the gospel that banishes all boundaries. Our eyes, our hearts are adjusted. Just to close with two questions and then the, we will respond in song. Two questions to ask and let these invoke further thought when we leave. First question, if our local church suddenly closed its doors forever, would our community miss us? If our church suddenly closes doors forever, would our community miss us? Its presence, its witness. This group of believers whose lives have been transformed by the Spirit of God, would anybody notice our absence? And if someone comes within the sphere of influence of this church, what do we expect to happen? Just write down when you leave five things. Someone walks in that door. These five things should happen when they enter this place. And do we expect those things to occur? Let me pray for us. God, we thank you for this morning. God, we know that simply just being together does not necessarily automatically make us a church that is faithful in going. And so we turn to you and ask, God, that you would use your word even in the week and coming weeks That you would use the weeks to come of us gathering and growing with one another. God, we pray that you would would powerfully and genuinely build us up and fuel us to be an evangelistic church that sees you as worthy of all. And God, may you assist us in bearing witness of our Savior in far greater ways and to a greater degree than was even present in 2014. We pray this for your glory. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.